Welcome to episode 51 of the Idea Blog podcast on the Criminal Code of Canada. My name is Lisa Silver, and today we will discuss section 56.1, official documents and identity, identity, who am I? With this episode, we enter a new phase of offenses, albeit still under part to offenses against the public order, but relating to official documents. Official documents is the heading for three offenses found under sections 56.1 to 58, relating to misuse of and falsification of government-issued identification. The term official documents is not a phrase used in any of these sections and is therefore not defined under the code. It is, however, a phrase used and defined in some provincial statutes, such as in the Plant Health Act from New Brunswick. Those definitions that do refer to the phrase official documents refer to a document signed by a minister or other government official. Some federal statutes refer to the term official documents, but do not define the full phrase. Instead, they define the word document, such as in the 2012 Federal Safe Food for Canadians Act. These definitions tend to be very broad and define document as, quote, anything on which information that is capable of being understood by a person or read by a computer or other device is recorded or marked, end quote. Other statutes, most notably as under Section 5 of the Federal Security of Information Act, refer to official documents and sections on falsification and forgery of documents, which are similar in tenor to the criminal code offenses we're about to discuss over the next three episodes. Before we start discussing the section we are discussing, here to talk about, which is section 56.1, offenses relating to identity documents, I have a comment to make on the numbering of this section. This section was placed in the code in 2009 as a result of an act to amend the criminal code, bracket, identity theft and related misconduct, end bracket, where a number of new offenses and revisions to pre-existing co-provisions were amended. Fair enough. My issue is why this section needed to be numbered as 56.1 and not, say, section 57.1, which would connect this new section to the falsification or improper use of documents. Section 56, as I discussed in a previous episode, concerns offenses relating to the RCMP, as in deserting from your duty. It has nothing to do with official documents or identity. When the code is amended, numbering, in my view, should consider placement with like sections. This is another reason I submit we need a total redo of the code. Section numbering and all. I say this even though I have such a familiarity with code sections that a new numbering system would be disarming. Enough said on this subject. Section 56.1 offers us an offense under subsection 1. 
Then there are exceptions to the offense or what could be considered lawful excuses under subsection 2 and a somewhat lengthy definition under subsection 3 and a punishment section under subsection 4. Section 56.1, subsection 1, sets out the offense as follows. Every person commits an offense who, without lawful excuse, procures to be made, possesses, transfers, sells, or offers for sale an identity document that relates or purports to relate in whole or in part to another person. The phrase transfers, sells, or offers for sale is found in the older offense under section 368, quote, use, trafficking, or possession of a forged document, which replaced previous versions of that section in the same amendment as the creation of the 56.1 offense. Possession is defined in the code under section 4, subsection 3, and is a subject of an earlier podcast that can be found on my website, www.ideablog, I-D-E-A-B-L-A-W-G dot C-A, and also as an audio file under my podcast page at that same website. The term transfers is used throughout the criminal code as an actus reus component of various offenses, such as those relating to firearms, such as under section 117.08, or relating to the transferring of nuclear material with intent, such as under section 82.3. The word transfer is the subject of statutory interpretation and the application of Dreidegger's modern approach in the 2004 Supreme Court of Canada decision of Regina and Doust. Here, the court was considering a section 462.31 offense known as laundering the proceeds of crime. The word transfer was examined both in English and in French, in French, it would be transfert. In an effort to understand how transfer differed from the other prohibited acts listed in the section, such as sends or delivers, transports or transmits. In the case, the accused was the purchaser of stolen goods, and the issue was whether this act constituted a transfer. Of interest to statutory interpretation, aficionados is the use here of the associated words rule or nascitur associus. Say that quickly three times. After applying this rule, the court found that a buyer of stolen goods was not committing any of the prohibited acts under the section. The acts listed, including the transfers of possession of, depended on the person committing the acts having control over the stolen property or proceeds of crime. This person would then pass on to another the property and would be the person targeted in the offense, not the so-called receiver. However, the receiver would certainly be charged or could be charged with other offenses found in the code, such as possession of stolen property under Section 354 of the Criminal Code. Besides having to prove the actus reus element or the prohibited act, 
as listed in the section, the Crown would also have to prove that the item is in fact an identity document per the definition under subsection 3, which reads as follows. For the purposes of this section, identity document means a social insurance number card, a driver's license, a health insurance card, a birth certificate, a death certificate, a passport as defined in subsection 57, subsection 5, a document that simplifies the process of entry into Canada, a certificate of citizenship, a document indicating immigration status in Canada, a certificate of Indian status or an employee identity card that bears the employee's photograph and signature, or any similar document issued or purported to be issued by a department or agency of the federal government or of a provincial or foreign government. That lengthy list of documents could probably be summed up as simply any government-issued ID. Further to our previous statutory interpretation segue, note that there is a descriptive list of identity documents in this definition and then a broad description encompassing quote, or any similar document, end quote. Again, the associated word rule could be used to interpret this phrase, giving the general phrase color from the more specific terms. Another related rule can also be applied, get ready for another Latin phrase involving a justum generis, or the limited class rule. This applies when there are specific terms followed by a more general phrase. The rule limits the general phrase to the same class as the specifically enumerated ones. In this case, one can argue, as I did at the outset, that any similar document would include any government-issued identification. Another element of the offense requires that the accused commit the offense without lawful excuse. There's no definition of this term, which is used liberally throughout the criminal code. In a search, the phrase pops up about 53 times. What constitutes a lawful excuse is many and varied. Typically, in cases considering the issue, the court says just that. For instance, in Regina and Osmond, which is a 2006 Nova Scotia Provincial Court case, in considering section 145 subsection 2b of the criminal code, which is the offense of failing to appear in court, there is the term without lawful excuse. And the court in that case stated rather unhelpfully at paragraph 45 that I do not need to list all the types of things that could constitute a lawful excuse. The Crown referred to some possibilities in its submissions. What can constitute a lawful excuse is usually established by judicial decisions and must be put in the context of the offense in question. Judge Embry continued to say that what lawful excuse is definitely not is forgetting to attend court. Thank you, Judge Embry. In the context of this section, if the person lawfully has the government-issued identification of another person or has it for a lawful purpose, there's no offense. To perhaps clarify this phrase, we can look to subsection 2, 
for what can be deemed some lawful excuses as contemplated by subsection 1. Subsection 2 reads as follows, for greater certainty, subsection 1 does not prohibit an act that is carried out in good faith in the ordinary course of the person's business or employment or in the exercise of the duties of their office for genealogical purposes with the consent of the person to whom the identity document relates or if a person authorized to consent on behalf of the person to whom the document relates or of the entity that issued the identity document or for a legitimate purpose related to the administration of justice. First off, one wonders what legitimate purpose is. Presumably legitimate means lawful, although they would have used the word lawful purpose, so there's a bit of an argument as to what a legitimate purpose relating to the administration of justice would be, although I would tend to consider that that must include a police officer having possession of such identification in an investigation. There are a couple more items to note here. First, the subsection starts with a qualifier for greater certainty. This phrase appears about 48 times in the criminal code. That's quite a few times. Sometimes the phrase is followed by exceptions to an offense, such as in this section we are considering. Other times the phrase clarifies what act is actually included in the offense, such as in the definition of terrorist activity under section 83.01. Therefore, in accordance with subsection 2, we have a few scenarios to contemplate as not attracting criminal liability, such as under 2 subsection B, a few scenarios to contemplate as such as where the possession of another person's identity document is permissible if it's for genealogical purposes. What immediately comes to mind are the various websites which provide services to those people interested in finding information on their ancestors, such as Ancestry.ca. For example, I have my grandfather's identity documents issued when he entered the country as an immigrant from Russia in 1912. I found them, by the way, digitized online through Library and Archives Canada, a federal government service. However, this exemption, and indeed this section, does not protect, protect the possession and use of another person's DNA. Considering the now booming business in collecting and testing DNA for those inquiring minds who need to know what percentage of their DNA is Neanderthal, this seems to be a gap in our legislative identity protections. In light of this, Section 56.1 seems to be already dated, although a good example of how quickly our technology is expanding and the difficulty with our laws to anticipate or even respond to these increasingly complex issues. Returning to the original phrase without lawful excuse, there is a question as to whether the Crown has the burden to disprove this as an essential element of the offence or not. This would be akin to, let's say, the Crown's burden to disprove 
without the consent phrase pursuant to the assault section under 265. There is some authority to the contrary, and I'm referring to a couple of cases from Alberta, the Alberta Provincial Court. It's actually by Judge Rossborough in Regina and Gladue, 2014, Regina and Neufeld, again in 2014, and again both by Judge Rossborough, that considers without lawful excuse and suggests that it's not an essential element but incidental to the offense. This argument, however, relies upon a passage in a Supreme Court of Canada case, Regina N.B., bracket G, and bracket, which is a 1990 case, wherein the court found the time of the offense was not an essential element of the offense. This, I suggest, differs greatly from a phrase like without lawful excuse that actually appears in the offense-creating section. So I'm sorry, Judge Rossborough, I'm not quite buying your argument. To me, the better approach can be found in Regina and Plowman, a 2015 Alberta Queen's Bench decision. There, Justice Nielsen, in considering the phrase in Section 56.1, found without lawful excuse places an evidential burden on the accused, akin to a defense to the charge. Thus, the accused need only point to evidence on the issue to establish an air of reality, and thus requiring the trier of fact to consider the evidence in determining whether the Crown has proven the case beyond a reasonable doubt on the issue of a lawful excuse. Therefore, the legal burden remains throughout the, the case on the Crown to disprove the lawful excuse beyond a reasonable doubt. The next issue is what the phrase in the offense, another person, means and whether it must refer to a real person living or dead. In Regina and Vladescu, which is a 2015 Ontario Court of Justice case, whether the identity documents in question related to a real person was the sole issue. The Crown's evidence did not touch on this aspect, and the defense then argued that proof of this aspect was an essential element of the offense and urged Justice Watson to acquit, employing what I would suggest is a questionable approach to statutory interpretation by focusing on the plain meaning of purport and focusing on comments made in one Senate debate on the new section, which referenced fictitious identity documents, the court decided that the Crown did not have to prove that the identity document belonged to a real person. Now, referring to fictitious identity documents may refer to identity documents that were falsified as opposed to the person in those documents not being real, but that's besides the point. Justice Watson convicted the accused, despite the cogent argument by the defense, that the subsection 2 exceptions, particularly the reference to genealogical purposes, actually suggests a real person. However, the offense of identity fraud under section 403 uses the phrase, quote, another person, common living or dead, end quote, which 
does suggest that Parliament, by omitting the phrase living or dead, did contemplate fictitious identity documents under Section 56.1. Either way, this is an issue that is open to argument. It should be mentioned that Subsection 4 sets out the possible penalties for committing the offence. Procedurally, this offence can be either an indictable or summary conviction offence and is therefore considered a dual or hybrid offence. This means the Crown has the option to elect the mode of proceeding. Although proceeding under indictment carries a longer maximum sentence of five years, as opposed to the maximum of six months imprisonment, together with uh, and or the maximum fine of 5000 if the accused is an individual. Of course, should the Crown elect to proceed by indictment, then the accused would have an election as to the mode of trial, that being either trial in provincial court or in superior court, with or without a preliminary hearing, which the accused would have to actually take positive steps to uh, elect to get, and with or without a jury pursuant to Section 536, subsection 2 of the Criminal Code. This ends our discussion of Section 56.1. Of course, there are mens rea considerations, but again, take a look at possession. Possession under Section 4, subsection 3 does require a high level of intention, although the other words, if the Crown is proceeding that the offense is being committed by way of a transfer, a sale, there may be an argument that that does not require a high level of mens rea, although I would argue that very clearly this section requires a form of subjective mens rea. Thank you, and I'll be back for episode 52. So stay tuned, and in the meantime, go to my website. Read some of my blogs on other issues at www.ideablog.ca.